Hello everyone and welcome to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. Uh, I'm your one of your hosts, Nicholas Lorimer, and I'm here with my co-host, Gabriel Crowler. Gabriel, how are you today? I'm doing okay. How so let's let's talk about the elephant in the room. Right. The real pressing issue, the hot news that everyone's got on their minds. Why has it been so long since we've produced an episode? Everyone wants to know, and the answer is uh, that I was in Russia. That was part of the answer. And then the answer after that was we kept having conversations and we said, okay, we're going to record a podcast. And yeah. Then but then it got like a little heated. At one point, one of our colleagues came in and was war- and wondered where the blood was on the floor. Yeah. There um, was, it, was a, it was a lively discussion. It was a lively discussion. Mm. So we decided to, to not record that. Yeah, that, that one was, yeah, no. <laughs> and then the next one was just very, very long. Yes. And also not in a recording studio. And then the next one was definitely in a bar. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so we, we, we haven't been in a place with microphones and had a proper conversation for a little while. Right. Uh, which is a bit of a shame, but that's how these things roll. Uh, the other problem was that we, we, we wanted to talk about the abolition of slavery. Yeah, no, so that is the real reason. But we, we, we just couldn't. So the thing is, finish no, our it's, it's, yeah, it's important to crafty. tell the story properly and we've got good ideas about it. And so we wanted to, um, there's just, there's, there's a missing piece of the puzzle and it's not completed yet. And so we, and so we, that's just going to have to be the carrot that we keep dangling in front of you. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, our many tens of listeners. <laughs> yeah. Our many tens of listeners. Slavery is the carrot we're dangling in front of the listeners. <laughs> I, that's, if that's not a, an advertising line. Exactly, exactly. Although something else happened today. Uh, what is it? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Helen Zilla left the institute because she was going off to uh, run for federal chairperson of the, uh, sorry, federal chair of federal council of the Democratic Alliance. Yeah. So she's back into the political arena. So, and the thing that really bums me about this is that I want to, she gave this great talk when she arrived. Um, and a lot of it was about esteem and honor mm. and honor codes. Mm. And uh, so I really wanted to give her this book, The Honor Code, How Moral Revolutions Happened by Kwame Anthony Appiah, which is really about slavery. Yes. Um, and I wanted to give her while she was still here. Now I'm going to have to like give it to her while she's not here. So that's a bummer. Yeah, well, we'll see how things develop, but that's pretty exciting. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on this early announcement? So um, I suppose there are, there's a lot of, fat to chew on is this a smart idea is it too soon is it too late for the da to be saved at all Mm, all good Um, questions yeah so that that people will talk about one thing that i do want to flag is that our listeners are going to hear a lot of the following if helen ziller rejoins the da then the da is going to lose black votes yeah right so helen ziller goes back and maybe some of the ff plus people come back to the da but that puts a cap on their black vote i you know Tomorrow comes in this morning, one of our colleagues, fabulous uh, Latvian, uh, Jewish, Soviet citizen, very Russian, tense. Yes. Russian, very Latvian, tense. Jew. Early in the morning, Gebs, Gebs, I'm listening on 702. Pongani Bingua is shouting at young black man, rough accent. He's calling in saying, I love Helen Zilla. Can't she come back to the DA? Pongani says, no, but, but you are black. And why do you like Helen Zilla? You know? I have heard that conversation so mm. many times mm. on radio, on 702 and SAFM in particular. I've seen it. Rebecca Davies on the Daily Maverick, her line yesterday was, you know, the problem with the DA is like, as long as it's got a white leader somewhere in the vicinity, black people are never going to vote mm. for it. 
it's particularly irksome to me when white people insist that black people only like people whose skin color is the same as their own. Yeah, when I used to campaign for the for the DA, um, sort of, you would get DA voters and they'd come up to me and they'd say, yeah, you know, the thing is, the thing is, the thing is, you don't have a black leader and that's the real problem. Then the, 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 the black people are not going to vote for you until you have a black leader. So you must get rid of Helen and you must put in a black leader. Which uh, puts a bit of a thumb in the eye of non-racialism. Yeah, it's just, and it's, it, part of what's irritating, especially, I mean, it's irritating no matter what race you are when you say it, what's especially irritating about it when white people say it is that it's always white people who are like, it's a no, bit presumptuous, isn't I it? like black people. I'm a white person who likes black people. It's just black people are inferior. They only know how to like their own kind. Yes. Black people can't like white people. Only white people can like both white people and yeah. black people. That's the kind of paternalistic yeah, the, the, sort yeah, of hangover a, of apartheid exactly. thinking there's a, that there's an sits in the cocktail glasses of the Westcliff elite sort of soiree mm, clinks mm. that pisses me off, frankly. No, exactly, exactly. So I flag that and, you know, my, my favorite endorsement of Helen Ziller was in the foothills of the, of the Drakensberg Mountains where an old, old Nkosi in Duna said to me, I don't want a Malema. He's just making fire. I don't want a Maimani. He's just making friends with everyone. I want a Helenzilla. She's making a solid future. Yeah. That guy's like 80 years old. He's never worn shoes. You know what? And I think he's more sophisticated than half the people like pretending to be sophisticated. Very much so, very much so. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know if, Helen, you are going to listen to this podcast, but uh, all we can say, I guess, is good luck. On to something a little bit further far from field, something uh, this, which is uh, the... Dum, dum, dum. The circus around um, Trump's impeachment. Oh, my Lord. So, I mean... The thing is, I just want to point out orange peach. There's just something about, like... <laughs> there's something about that aura that mm. halo around him that mm. just does has been begging for impeachment for so long yes so i mean now let's just get get get, get the sort of basic facts straight there have been a lot of calls to impeach trump now impeachment in the united states is not a conviction it's more like a trial it's like a political trial for a crime so if you impeach someone it doesn't mean that they get thrown out of office it just means that there's a process by which the politicians will vote on whether they're guilty or not. Um, and you need two-thirds of both the House and the Senate, I think, to, 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 to vote this. So it's really hard to do. It's almost never been done successfully. All right. Don't you only need a majority of the House but two-thirds of the Oh, yeah, yeah. That might be the case. That might be the case. Um, so what has happened is that Donald Trump was on a phone call with the president of Ukraine where he had a very sort of long-winded, as Trump does, he never really talks in a straight line. He said something along the lines of, oh, you know, America has been so good to Ukraine. We've been very good to Ukraine. Um, but sometimes it's not reciprocated. It's not reciprocated. And, and he, by the way, Angela Merkel, I don't know if she's so good to Ukraine. Yeah, she talks a lot. She talks a lot. What does she do? Does she help? Does she not We're help? We're not making this up, by the way. That's actually... What no, that's said. what he says. And then the Ukrainian guy says, well, you know, Angela Merkel, she talks so nice, but does she help? Where are the guns? Yeah, exactly. With she, the Russians? She likes nice to, what, what, I think he said something along the lines of she likes to pretend to be a leader, but not really be one. Not really be a leader. Which is one of the funny things about that moment is that it's like two people agreeing on fairly good evidence that 
Angela Merkel is way more in bed with Vladimir Putin than, than Donald can, Trump yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I know that's like a high IQ point that it's, CNN listeners might. <laughs> I'm just giving a warning here. Things are a little bit weird in the old iron curtain se- section of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, he goes on from this discussion. They agree on Angela Merkel being a bit rubbish. Um, the Ukrainian president is very eager to suck up to Donald Trump because Ukraine has been invaded by Russia in the east and uh, there's an ongoing war there and the Ukrainians really can't resist the Russians without some American help. Yeah. So also, the Ukrainian president is literally a comedian. Yeah, he's a comedian. Like, he didn't want to be president. He was in a TV show about not wanting to be president and then people are like, that's a great idea. Why don't you not yeah, well, be president? And then he's like, now I'm president. So, yes, when he gets on the phone call with Donald Trump, I mean, he must have thought that's one of the funniest parts of his day in like this very, <laughs> very high-pressure, tense situation kind yes. of, uh, we might lit- all he's die. He's literally fighting for his nation's survival. Yeah. So he's got to tell the jokes to make the orange peach happy. Yes. And, it is, and, and then those jokes get exposed, which is a bummer for him. We'll get to that. Sorry. So uh, they're having this conversation. Trump says, oh, you, we're very good to you, but you don't always reciprocate. Then he comes to talk about how, you know, you president of Ukraine, I just heard that my main political opponent, Joe Biden, his son had dealings that I think might have been corrupt in Ukraine. You should really get your prosecutors to look into that. I think it's uh, because Joe Biden was bragging about how he fired the last prosecutor. Now, this is because the Obama administration put pressure on the Ukrainians to fire a prosecutor who was believed to have been slow-walking corruption investigations. Unfortunately for Joe Biden, it does appear as though said prosecutor also may have dug up... um, a case about uh, the company which Joe Biden's son was involved with in the Ukraine. So Hunter Biden is in the Ukraine doing business with these gas guys at, it's what is it? Uh, Bulsima Gas Holdings or something like that. Gas Holdings. He's doing nice business there. He's doing consulting. What's he really doing? He's getting money. It's not at all like uh, the younger Ramaphosa and Bosasa. Bulsima and (coughs) Bosasa They might sound the same, but please don't be distracted. What we're trying to say is that some powerful vice president's son was getting consulting fees for unclear services <laughs> at a point in time that might have had to do with getting some political traction. And then the National Prosecuting Authority starts going after them. And then the powerful person in question comes in and says, Look, there's no there, there. You don't need to worry about this. In fact, you're doing a whole bunch of other terrible things. That, In fact, you're not doing enough. Hmm. What you are doing with my son clearly can't be anything. And the things that you're also not doing, bad, so you're fired. And the, and the way that he says you're fired is, is I think, pretty important. Well, 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 we'll get there. So, so basically the nub of this impeachment thing is this. Is, was it appropriate for Donald Trump to ask a foreign leader to use right. that leader's resources to investigate his political opponent. Yeah. That's how it kind of boils down. Yeah, and it's a tough question. It's a tough question because one can make the argument that uh, Joe, there might actually be some kind of corruption charge here. Um, I'm more skeptical. You're a little bit less skeptical, but you know we don't know enough yet to know for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and, and in that case, the president is just making sure 
as American presidents often do, that corrupt activities by gov- American government officials are followed up on um, across the world. Right, yeah. Um, the alternative is that Trump is willfully misusing the resources and the prestige and power of the American presidency in a way that was never intended to be used to pervert American democracy by using foreigners to basically kind of... In other words... Kneecap a political opponent. In other words, colluding with Ukraine. Yeah. So, and it's funny to be... It's funny that the guy colluding with Russia is now colluding with Russia's... Actual main war enemy, enemy who they are fighting with shooting guns at. So this guy's indiscriminate in his collusion, that's for sure. Yeah, he's also subsequently started colluding with China. Yes, so so he's having a trade war with China, but also colluding with China. So it's like you don't get much for colluding with Trump, which is odd. Uh, so since this came out, Trump has, as uh, his campaign first sort of said, oh, there was no quid pro quo, so there was no corruption here. And then they moved to uh, saying Donald Trump actively going out and saying, no, uh, not only was it right for me to talk to them, but actually I'm going to go and ask them publicly, mm. China, Ukraine, give me evidence that this guy was doing corrupt things because I know he was. Mm. So I want to say something about the sort of conceptual space uh, the floor is yours. I think that I do think this is very tough. I mean, when I first heard about this, I I had gone home. I think this was last week. I was I was I was in need of a nap, so I left the office. I went. I turned on someone else's TV. I was sleeping on the couch, and there I saw the news breaking uh, of of not the not of the tape. The tape had already been leaked, but of the. House Intelligence Committee, chaired by Adam Schiff, uh, questioning the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, whatever his name is. And that's the person who had sort of overseen the investigation into this uh, phone conversation uh, that they'd managed to track down because of a whistleblower. And the way Adam Schiff was telling the story, it was like, Trump did this quid pro quo. So Adam Schiff is who again? He's the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Okay, I think. He's right? a Democrat. He's a Democrat. Yeah. He's definitely an anti-Trump Democrat guy. And, and, and he was, he was chairing, the, chairing the hearing with the ICIG, uh, who's the guy who did the investigation. And the investigation's conclusion was like, uh, you know, we think this is pretty serious. You should look at this. But we're not saying that, that a bad thing happened. We're, we're saying you should look at this. Um, and, he, and, and Adam Schiff started by saying, here's, here's what happened. We found this tape recording of a phone conversation between Trump and the president of the Ukraine, Zelensky, and, uh, and, and Trump was trying to hide this thing, but we got it, and what he said was... Well, this all came out originally because of a whistleblower yeah. who didn't actually have first-hand knowledge of this, but... So did, there's, there, there's yeah. that issue, but we'll get to that issue. Schiff said, the phone conversation went like this. Donald Trump says, I don't like Joe Biden. I'm worried about the election. I need you to dig up dirt, to make dirt is his phrase. I want you to make dirt on uh, Hunter Biden and in exchange, I'll give you guns to take out the Russians. In exchange, I I, I won't stop the guns from getting to you to take out the Russians. So one of the crucial details of this whole saga is that uh, supplies um, in the form of uh, weapon sales and loans were temporarily stopped to Ukraine for unexplained reasons. About 11 days before the before this phone call, yes. So that's super suspicious. And I heard Schiff say it's this clear quid pro quo and Trump's given his own motivation. And I fell asleep 
and I had a dream, and my dream was that it's so obvious that Trump has done a terrible thing and colluded with a foreign government for political purposes that that everyone turns on him. The evidence is there. The transcript reads exactly the way Schiff described it, exactly the way the New York Times has been covering it. And even Trump's children are like, Daddy, this is a bad thing. You can't call the president of Ukraine and say, I want you to take out Hunter Biden because he's my political opponent's son. Mm, and mm. if you do that, I'm going to help you with guns. And if you don't do that, I'm not going to help you with guns. It's like a, the mafia boss theory of Donald Trump. I thought this is fantastic. It would be such a relief because what Donald Trump could then go and do, if his own children turn on him and they're like, Daddy, this is crazy. You can't do that. I can't believe you did that. Is he... That guy's clearly tired. He's clearly being battered by this whole process. Some part of him is such a greedy gutsy, like he wants to be president forever. But some part of him has been wanting to not be president for a long time. And that part of him could finally win out and he could go and stand up on the podium and say, all I ever wanted to do in life is win. And then I won the biggest thing you can win in the whole world. I won the American presidential race. It's amazing. I'm the best. That's what I thought. And then I realized there's something more important than for Donald Trump to win. And that's for America to win. I love this country. For America to win, Donald Trump has to go, Donald, you're fired. And Donald Trump would fire himself. That would, that would be the greatest television in human history. It would be so good. It would be so cathartic. So many people would be so happy. Everyone from the left to the right would be so amazingly happy. And they'd be able to come together on a single word, truth. They'd say the truth is that this guy was motivated to kneecap his political opponent. He used a foreign power to do that. That's against the rules. There's hard evidence for it. The left who's always been going for the impeachment gets the impeachment they want. The right who've always been saying we're defending him but only because there's no evidence to back up your outrageous claims about P-tapes in Russia and Hana Hana Hana. Now there's real evidence. Of course we're with you. Of course we're not blindly loyal to Trump. Uh, and, and, and we want him gone too. And also and, he's a martyr, of, in a sense. And he's a martyr. So all the sides win. It would be fabulous. America could finally heal the divides and we could get a sort of a good buttoned-up president again who doesn't say rude, disgusting, vile things. And it might be slightly more boring, but at this stage... I could do with a little bit more boring. You know? Well, unfortunately, we don't live in that happy land. We live in... Yeah, I was dreaming. Cruel, confusing, bitter uh, land where every single ambiguity in this case has been picked on by the side that wants a certain thing to happen. And I think these ambiguities matter to the conceptual spaces. On the one hand, an American president has every right to use the leverage of the, the presidency to get foreign leaders to get their own... Uh, prosecuting authorities to pursue cases. And in fact, the FBI actually has liaison officers in a lot of its embassies precisely for that, that uh, to pursue. Usually the president doesn't do it, but the FBI yeah. will pursue. We think that this American citizen is is having corrupt dealings with someone here and we want you to prosecute Help us out, do this, do that. And I've, yeah, I, I know this well. I've sort of had some uh, personal experience with some of these cases interesting stuff not for today um on the other hand the american president no political candidate in america is allowed whatsoever to get foreign players to interfere in elections in american elections without uh, disclosing the interference and some kinds of interference is not allowed at all so you've got two things that aren't allowed 
right? Sorry, you've got one thing that's totally allowed and you've got one thing that's totally not allowed. And we seem to be living in the sort of small little Venn diagram intersection of that. Mm. And that's what makes it feel like you just choose your you just choose your principle. Either you're for the American executive has the full right to go wherever it wants to go, or you choose no one's allowed to interfere in elections using foreign agents. I think that that kind of relativist just pick your side answer is not good enough. I think people should try harder. I'm not sure I've got the right answer. I do think that something that the um, political interference trumps its side should think about is whether or is what side he's benefiting you see i as a as a dude who supported the democrats when i was in america i was there in 2008 barack obama was elected i totally would have voted for him i totally would have voted for him in 2012 and as a child growing up under the bush years i totally would have voted for the democrats instead of bush every time that's where i grew up okay I've I've I feel like I've got some magnetic pull of Democrat thought in my brain, mm. and as and as a latent that latent lizard Democrat in in me thinks, hell's teeth. If Hunter Biden is guilty of corruption, then Joe Biden needs to be taken out. Then that needs to be exposed, and Joe Biden needs to be taken out as soon as possible. Well, precisely, because if Joe Biden becomes the the, the 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 candidate that the Democrats elect at the end of their primary process to then run against Trump, and it only then gets exposed, then that's a nightmare. And even worse, if he wins the presidency and then the Ukrainians have dirt on him that they can use to live, leverage him whichever way they like because he would never allow his family to be discredited because he's such a family man. It would be such a heartbreaking thing for Joe Biden, mm. whose wife got killed, whose son died of cancer, and then his naughty son who snorts the cocaine does the corrupt dealings and then that dirt means that his office as president is corrupted it'd be so terrible surely you want to know about that sooner rather than later no very much so although everyone of course has retreated into their their little bubbles and right. for, put up their little you know partisan tribal forts and so this whole thing is turning into a complete ridiculous circus where we know that trump is not going to be impeached because the likelihood of uh, at senators. least 20 Republican senators voting to throw Donald Trump out of office and forever destroy their own political careers yeah. is almost impossible. Unless there's really strong evidence. At the same time, it would have to be, even at Watergate, there was still suspicion about right. whether yeah. the Senate really would vote to remove Richard Nixon. Then we go to the... the um, so, 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 so that's... Oh, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay, let me let me let me let me fill in one thing. Yeah, uh, I think that a lot of this comes down to. I think there's no way to get around it. It comes down to whether Hunter is guilty or not. If Hunter's not oh, sorry, guilty, the, the, and there's no reason to think he's guilty, then Trump is just being. A, a terrible abuser of power yes, because there's no reason to think he's guilty and now you're using the office to go on a wild goose chase. If it turns out Hunter's guilty, then then I just don't see how it can be a bad thing for that guilt to be exposed. Mm. And if that guilt wouldn't have been exposed because the Ukrainian prosecutors are dragging their feet because they're worried about the timing or they're trying to use the timing mm. to their own advantage. It's not good for the US. It's not good for the US. Sorry, to finish the point that I, that I, <laughs> that I got lost on there, um, 
The other thing uh, that, that that's going on beyond the fact that he's not actually going to be removed from office is that there's an election in a year. Right. Yes. So <laughs> no, that's like a humdinger. Hey? So, so <laughs> what's the point? Because rather than having the two legislator legislative bodies, you know, deliberate on whether this is actually going to be a, you know, whether he's guilty or not, and they all have their own perverse incentives. Americans are going to decide. A hundred million people more than yeah. are going to vote on whether they think Donald Trump needs to be removed from office or not. Yeah. So we're stuck in this bizarre political theater where everyone's just putting up their little walls mm. and making self-interested arguments. Um, we are engaged. The Americans are engaged in a process that's going to go nowhere. Yeah. And there's going to be a test of whether Donald Trump should be in the office anyway within a year. Yeah. It's very very silly. It's very silly. It's very Bill Clinton in the 90s. The impeachment launch, launched against him under the Monica Lewinsky scandal. I think a lot of Americans on both sides of the aisle, in retrospect, consider to have been one of the silliest things the Republican Party did. Hmm. And uh, it hurt itself, and but it really hurt the country for a while. Um, and, I mean, those heels... The, the thing is... One of the reasons that it's hard to remember is because the, after that you have the the 2000 election, which is the most biggest crisis of an election because the Supreme Court effectively decides it because the Florida yes. vote doesn't get the recount because they say it and Gore sues instead of allowing the procedure to mm -hmm. go through for the recount. So, I mean, that really freaked Americans out much more than this electoral college thing now with Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a much more existential crisis. I'm not saying the temperature was uh, necessarily high. greater on campuses. Mm. I, think it, I think it was just about the same. Coverage has somehow changed. Mm. Um, but then 9-11 just made all of that go away. It kind of put things in perspective. It brought, them to the, it brought yeah. Americans together. And so, but short of something like that happening, this impeachment process is just gonna open the suture further and it's further in a way that's not it's just it's not gonna heal i don't see a way for it to heal yeah it's short gonna, of some proper existential it's crisis it's gonna be a horrible sucking mud that the american republic is going to have to struggle against to survive oh it and it's like it it's this thing of it's it's um you know ancient greek theater is different to like the movies we watch today because there's no intro, there's no outro, there's no up, there's no down. You come in at a 10. You come in with like some guy killing his father. Or you come in with like parents abandoning their child in the mountaintop. <laughs> and then he comes down the hill and kills his father. And then he sleeps with his mother. And then he stabs out his own eyes. And then he gets expelled from the town. And that's like the play. It's just 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. And it's amazing now and then to watch a great Greek play. But to live in a great Greek play... I think is more than the human organism is designed to be able to handle. Mm, mm, no, very much so. All right, now. Oh God! From the one great Greek tragedy to the other. Right, yes, we've got we've got we've got less than ten minutes to get through two more topics. Okay. And the one I ding, think. Ding ding ding! Speed round. The one is I think we should just despair a little bit, and the second one we should on purpose not talk too much about. So first one, the great saga of Brexit. What is there to say? except that it seems to get ever stupider that the entire British political system is being torn down, is ripped to pieces, every precedent thrown out the window, elections avoided, votes of no confidence not held or maybe, you know, or called yeah, no, for that by the wrong side. Rubbish, eh? uh, a stranger alliances forming, caretaker prime ministers, 
over some trade and immigration treaties. Yeah. We do live in a strange world. Yeah. It is. It is. It is almost unfathomable. I think it is worth it to try to fathom. I think that I was speaking to a Brit um, it, it, who trades in carbon, who used to trade in carbon tax rebates, you know, the sort of aristocrat who, who's figured out how to jibby the system and I, travel I, around. I would, it I would, I would like to, to point out just before you, before you tell us about this aristocrat that um, the British political system in the entire 20th century with the arguable exception of the House of Lords in like 1912 or something, yeah, was not under as much stress as, as it is now, despite the fact that they dissolved their entire empire, fought two world wars, and went through a depression in that century. Right. So it does it does evoke the phrase sort of idle hands make for the devil's work. <laughs> yes, very much so. So tell us about your aristocratic friend with his carbon trading. So okay, so this is just this is just to give you the sense that you know he knows he knows a bunch of sort of MPs on first name basis because mm. they've had hang ons. Um and 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 so one really ought to take this with a sort of pinch of blood pudding or whatever it is. Um but I I I gave him my sort of four glasses of wine deep best Sunday rant about how terrible it is that the uh the Scottish High Court and then the Supreme Court is sort of ruling in favor of this parliamentary sovereignty which sort of doesn't adhere to the basic logical principle of the parliament's power being derived from the people. So the parliament can do whatever it wants, excepting for stop the government, for writing the script for government. This is what you have to do, but this is also what you can't do. So that government's in a logical bind. It can't really do anything. And then government then has to, the only way it can go forward is for parliament to be dissolved and for a new election to be had, or for, or for the government for di- to be dissolved and parliament to create a new government. One of those two things has to happen if parliament has logically bound the government into stasis. And I'm like, but what parliament has done is it's logically bound the government into stasis and it's also logically bound itself into stasis yeah. by refusing to say that it has no confidence in the government despite the fact that it clearly has no confidence in the government. And I don't mean clearly in some metaphorical way. I mean clearly in the sense that it said you may not go through with no deal. You may not go through with the only viable deal. You can't deal, control the order paper in parliament. Nothing. You can do nothing. You have no ability to do anything as an executive. Oh, so by the way, uh, we still have confidence in you. Yeah, yeah. It's just, but also we don't because we're all denouncing you regularly. It's the, it, the hypocrisy is just too extreme for any mind to handle. There is, in a sense, one may say, I think, with some justice, that modern philosophy begins with Leibniz, who says, "This is a law. If there is no other law, thou shalt not admit of a logical contradiction. Thou shalt not say that p and not p." <laughs> This is there is no more basic law than that of thought, okay? And this is what the British Parliament has done. It has said we have no confidence in you whatsoever, and they've said it in every which way that they can. Except and they've the also very said technical, that we have confidence yeah, in you. Yeah. They say P and not P. It is intolerable. There is no way to square it. I said this to him, and I was very, I was very deep into it. And then he looked at me and he said. Yeah, mate, but Parliament can do whatever it likes. <laughs> oh, okay, well, that's that, the glory of our system, and so the glory. I think, I think, I think what he was doing to me, I think he was, I think he was Britishing me. <laughs> 
think you, he was saying... You silly foreigners don't really understand our ways, now, do you? Exactly. I gave him like a lower-class accent, but he's a very much upper-class guy. And I think what he was saying is, look, we're the guys who invented Monty Python. We're the guys who invented the sort of combination of the stiff upper lip being the paradigm, paragon of, of the British man at the same time as the British man being the most sensitive, sort of poety, put a flower in your buttonhole type chap as well. We resound in contradictions. The thing about the French is that they put their contradictions in philosophy. We bake our contradictions into the weave and the weft of our lives. And so, yes, we contradict ourselves. We are containing of multitudes. And Walt Whitman ripped that line off from an Englishman and probably spoke in an English accent when he said so. <laughs> also, he probably smooched Oscar Wilde. Okay, and I think his thought was like... That's your, your hottest gossip from the <laughs> 1800s. Here are two crickets with a thorn in a thorn tree. So I, it, it, it made me try to change the gear of my thought and think, is this all that bad? Maybe it's not because Boris Johnson has come up. Boris Johnson has changed his style. He's changed his tack since being reprimanded by the Supreme Court. I think unfairly, but you know they're saying, look, Parliament wants to contradict itself. That's its right. It is sovereign. As long as it, as long as a new one gets elected, at least within five years, it can do whatever it wants. Mm, mm. Okay, fine. Um, is uh, is is his new offering, which is to say that we have a genuinely new proposal on the table? That's to avoid the backstop by. Uh, the problem with the backstop is that you're stuck in the EU customs union, so we've got a way of not being in the EU's customs union with with the uh, checks on goods coming in and out of across the from the Republic of Ireland to Northern Ireland and from the island of Ireland to the UK. We'll have checks sort of away from the border at various parts of the supply chain to take care of that. And as long as this sort of system remains it must be with the consent of the northern irish and so the northern irish assembly first has to consent to it separately from the uk and the eu signing a deal and if they consent then we can go and they have to vote yes every four years to consent again and at any stage they can have an early vote to say we don't consent in other words we're not this is not the sort of never-ending no sunset clause kind of thing that the uh, backstop offering might turn out to be. This is, they're going to consent until such time as we can come up with a better deal. And then if the EU doesn't want to allow the better deal, we can force a sort of new negotiating situation by uh, allowing the Northern Irish Assembly to get together and say, we no longer consent to this. And that triggers a year. And within that year's period, mm. that then ends and some new thing has to replace it. So that's but, a genuinely uh, new deal. It's a new thing on the offing. Yeah, it is. Um, although the EU has not outright rejected it, but they've said, oh, oh, we don't think we can accept this. It's a hard one. It's hard for me to understand what their rationale could be well, as long as the Republic of Ireland is... Yeah, I think, I think their official rationale might be a little bit confused, but their uh, real rationale, in my mind, is probably something along the lines of these people aren't going to leave because their parliament's a mess, their system doesn't work and Boris Johnson is a limited quantity. Yeah, so if we can just if we can just hold them off for a little bit longer they'll get yeah. the second referendum and then they'll stay. But let's 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 not continue with this discussion anymore because it's still very much we'll see where it's going. Yeah, it's it is hard. It and there's very good reason to be bleak. And okay. so I ask you the real question, the only thing that anyone will remember 
Yes. Is Brexit going to happen on the 31st of October? So I'm going to say everyone says no. I'm going to say there's still a chance. I'm going to say yes because I think that everything's getting so excitable um, that the Tory government will suicide itself basically to use, they'll use higgledy-piggledy and the whole thing will end up in court but they will leave with no deal on the 31st. No ifs, no buts and then sue us later. Yeah. I think that's probably what's going to happen. Maybe that's just what I want to happen. Who knows? <laughs> and for our final topic. Yeah, talking will, about suing governments later. Which we will not spend a lot of time on. No. Uh, the great climate crusader Greta Thunberg, a small Swedish girl uh, who gives speeches talking about how adults have failed ch- uh, all children around the world. And she's encouraged people to strike children, to leave school, to strike against um, the lack of action. That's on not to hit change. children. Yes, 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 yes. To, to, to that, that children should leave school, go out protest, demanding that governments around the world take action now, not tomorrow. Now, now, now. You must now do on, it now. On on on, uh, on climate change. You don't need to problems. learn anything more. School is for learning, well, but childhood is for doing. Yeah. Well, she seems to have. She seems to be of, under the belief. Uh, that it doesn't really matter whether you're in school or not because her future is one doomed to suffering, torture, and extinction. You are not going to have an adulthood. So that means your childhood is already over, which means you must no longer go to school. In fact, what you must do is prepare your bunker. I mean, do you think she's, do you think preppers, do you think there's like a secret shared admiration between preppers? You know the dudes who wear the camo suits mm-hmm. and have like 50 cans of tuna and 40 machine guns and whatever buried under the ground for in case the Democrats really <laughs> get going. <laughs> they come for our guns. We'll be ready. We'll be ready. Like them and Greta are like they're on the same WhatsApp group. They don't let people know about it. You know, you know the voice. It's funny that you talk about preppers. You know that that that, that uh, you, you and I are both familiar with him. There's an American writer called David French. He's famous yes. for being like one of the foremost proponents of civility in American politics. Yeah, he's really into being polite. Do you know that he's a prepper? For sure, I didn't know that, but that sounds perfect. Yeah, he is, and he he has all of his backpacks and stuff ready to go. I'm gonna be very polite until such a time as I'm <laughs> gonna get in my bunker, and you're not invited. And uh, uh, the best part about that is he, you can't even use really a natural disaster excuse because he lives in Tennessee, where there are no hurricanes or earthquakes. Or no, Tennessee or has uh, Tennessee has tornadoes, man. Tornado, but a tornado is not a world-ending event like a hurricane or an earthquake can be. Yeah, it hits a power station and then looting. And uh, I guess there's a, no, there's no, no, a sliver no. of a justification there. For no, the no, no, it's not. No, that's about politics. That's about like if we're not polite to each other, the political fabric falls apart. I'm ready, and we become we 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 enter the state of nature. Also, another great irony in this, right? The state of nature. If you go back far enough to like Greta's ancestry, it's 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 Hobbes and Hume and 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 uh, those guys. Uh, and they thought the state of nature was where life is nasty, brutish, and short. Yeah. And so, uh, now that's the state of 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 artificiality, and nature, in fact, would be sort of this this utopian place where everyone gets to live a long life and be very good. But in order to get doesn't there, seem yeah. doesn't seem to talk too much about that because I don't know about you, but she's not very hopeful. <laughs> I mean, she kind of when she speaks, she says, "How dare you come to us for hope." You've ruined my childhood. 
Oh God, that's a beautiful line. It's 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 a little bit difficult to say. Well, how dare you come to me for hope? How, that doesn't that doesn't fill me with confidence that we can actually do anything. I wrote an article on this. Um, I, I thought actually, it was brilliant. I actually wrote something on this. You know, I, I do a lot of talking, but I don't do enough writing. And uh, it was really just an excuse to stuff some medieval history <laughs> into a piece of yeah. politics. But uh, I you said that that what Greta was is that she is a uh, example of a phenomenon that repeats itself throughout human history, where a child emerges as a leader of a sort of moral movement. Um, so in this example, I use the Children's Crusade in 1212, um, where a... Led by someone called... Nicholas. Oh... Uh, where a young shepherd boy managed to convince a lot of children to march off to the Holy Land, where simply by their purity and divine belief, um, their lack of sin, because they were children, mm. that that the, the infidels, the Muslim kingdoms, would simply convert to Christianity at their approach. The sea would part before them, so they wouldn't need ships. Mm-hmm. And they'd arrive in the Holy Land and it would be restored to Christianity. And people were inspired. Uh, the, the priesthood um, thought this was great because they said... Yeah, obviously it's not going to happen, but it'll 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 embarrass the nobles because they'll see these peasant children walking around and they'll go, oh, I guess we have to actually go on a crusade. So all the great and the good of the time for dealing with the great crisis of 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 of, of uh, infidel control of the Holy Land, they were all on board with this with this idea until it ended in disaster. Yeah. Firstly, by the children crossing the Alps without supplies, which meant two thirds of them died. Or abandoned the, the Alps. Hey, not a forgiving. No, no, mother. pretty, pretty, Mild. pretty vicious mountains, uh, especially in the pre-modern period without proper roads. Um, and then, when they arrived in Italy, they reached the sea, which was supposed to part for their great crossing of the Mediterranean, and uh, well, it didn't. No ways, which is a bit awkward. Uh, and most of them the, abandoned the, the crossing the sea thing. There's. There, there does an, there's an echo across history here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> very I'm good point, very good point. Except one of them did manage to cross the sea, although she used a boat rather than her legs. Ah, If she had swum across the whole thing. That would have been impressive. That would have been really cool. Although yeah. she'd still be swimming. Which is expanding energy. She anyway. Wouldn't, she, wouldn't have, she wouldn't have made it yet because she'd still be, <laughs> she'd still be there. So, okay, but so they made it across the sea on boats, some of them. Well, no, 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 they, they, they didn't at the end. That was, that's the, the apocryphal tale about how the story ends. Uh, basically then, you know, everyone realizes that this thing has been a bit of a disaster and so a hardcore group of them kind of wander around asking God, why did you not fulfill the prophecy? Why have you left us? And eventually they reach Rome looking for an answer. They mm. go to the Pope, and mm. he's like, um, I think you should all go home. <laughs> and they do. Now we and the commandment number six or whatever it is says, number four, respect thy mother and thy father. Yes, yes. Uh, the, the Pope basically says, ooh, this has gone on a bit too long. Join uh, you unto I think, house. I think you should go home. Now, we don't know what happens to the young crusader leader, Nicholas himself, but we do know what happens to his father, which is that locals accuse his father of encouraging him to preach. Sounds like accusations thrown by Greta's parents. Mm-hmm. And they hung him for all for leading all of their children to their deaths. Yeah. And I think uh, you know, you can also look at the the Cosa Prophetess. Um, non Kabuse. Yeah, very good. Very good. <laughs> we finally managed to get her name right. Um, I hope I said that right. I think I did. Uh, it's 
it's better. It's a better attempt than I could have made. Yeah, and she was a Nontraguse was like 15, 16. Uh, 15. She climbed the top of a hill, and she and has she, an ancestor say, yeah. "Look, if you want the white people to go away, just kill all your cows, and then and the burn all your crops too. Burn all your crops, and the ancestors will descend, and they will drive them into the sea." Yeah, and uh, well, it, it, they tried, and it didn't really work. Didn't really work. Half the chiefs tried, half the chiefs didn't try. One of the things that's interesting about that, at least in the telling of Alistair Sparks. Uh, uh, late editor of the Grand Daily Mail, is that um, this was sort of after the Eighth Frontier War between the Tosa and the British, and the Tosa had sort of beca- they were quite sophisticated diplomats, and they and they'd secured a pretty good peace for themselves, and, the, and they had a few British garrisons that had sort of basically police that had been stationed around, and the Brits could only really go back in if they wanted to if the Tosa were fighting with each other. Mm. One of the things to distinguish the Tosa from the Zulus was that they is that there were many different less you, less tribes. United, yeah. Exactly. So and and for that reason they seemed economically better off, the environment is a little bit better, life seemed not too bad, then this happens. And then it wrecks them completely and it wrecks the half of the tribes and then those tribes, after a while, they just can't but uh, wrangle the cattle of their neighbors. Mm. And so then you get Tosas killing Tosas. And then you get Bartle Freire uh, gets his excuse to invade Tosa land um, because in this a very is very serious way, yeah. In a and very serious way. So you take and and this is this he does so without the foreign officer's explicit permission because breaks, this it, is the rules. It breaks the back of closer resistance to the British. And 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 they it ends closer sovereignty. There is not closer sovereignty yet again. And from there, the Brits get such a good little bit of a momentum that they take on the Zulus. There's an embarrassment at Isaldwana and Rock's Drift, but they but they manage to take out the Zulus as well. And at least in Thomas Pakenham's telling, it's like if they hadn't gone for the Tosas first, it would have been basically logistically very difficult for them to get to the Zulus. The foreign office wouldn't have backed it. So there's a way of saying that Nonkawuse ended Kosa sovereignty and ended Zulu sovereignty. Yeah. And after that, the Brits feel like they're so good, they might as well take out the Boers. And from there, they create this union in which blacks outside of a few pockets are almost entirely deprived of political mm. sovereignty. So it's a very tragic kind of, I, it's a sickening tale actually, and one that's almost never told. So, so, so the bottom line here is that whenever we see examples, and there are some others throughout history, um, whenever you see examples of these kind of child-led moral movements, they almost always create problems for the children involved yeah, and for the society that embraces them. Yeah. Now, I don't think that we're going to have thousands of children dying in the Alps no. or uh, an invasion by space aliens who are going to take away our deindustrialized civilization and enslave us all. Yeah. But I do think the potential for disastrous economic policy or for some very nasty political actors to make hay out of this are there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so really, let's, let's leave the kids out of politics. Um, yeah. Let me give let me give a thirty second story. Nicholas and I both went to St. Stithians. One of the most traumatic events that happened at that school was that one of our boarding houses burnt down mm. when you were in grade eight and I was mm. in matric. Mm. I was one of the first guys on the scene. It happened during dinner time, so most people were in the dining hall, but I was in the singing group and we were rehearsing the little one, the Dukes. So mm. there were sixteen of us rehearsing close by. And I'd been sent out to go find someone and then I saw it. And without getting into too much detail, there was a 20-minute period between me seeing the boarding house on fire. There's a massive boarding house. It's like 50 rooms, two stories high. 
all of my, you know, my brothers, my very close friends live there. I don't know if anyone's in there or not. And I'm, I discover this thing when I'm next to the fire hydrant, which has been, the faucet has been opened, the water is streaming out and there's a hose, but it won't connect to the fire hydrant. The hose is crawling up 30 meters towards the boarding house. And there's someone there who says, we can't find the right connector. The right thing to connect the end of the hose to the end of the faucet. So I and a friend of mine and later on a guy on a bicycle coming by, we spent 20 minutes trying with our belts, trying with shirts being ripped off, socks, everything we could to try and get a sort of watertight seal between the end of the hose and the end of the faucet. And it was desperate and it wasn't working and we sort of managed to get the water to crawl up 30 meters but we realized we couldn't get it even up, you know, we was just so far gone from being useful at all. Mm. But we were trying. And and I've, frankly, we were crying by 15 minutes into it because we were so desperate and so worried and heard screams coming over yonder and, and heard that the fire engine was stuck on the wrong side and we'd taken the wrong directions, Baytop Field instead of the other entrance, instead of Peter Place, mm. whatever. It was a nightmare. Eventually... We figured it out. I mean, eventually the fire engine came up and they had the connector and they put the thing in. And and then by then the fire had engulfed half the boarding house. Lights had gone away. It was night. We didn't even realize. And we joined our friends. And the most harrowing silhouette was seeing one of my mates try and run into the last bit of the boarding house that hadn't been set aflame because gifts from his grand who's the mm. only real family mm. that he had and had passed away were there and he had to be physically restrained so the silhouette of three boys fighting one mm. boy trying to get into the fire was a harrowing thing to see an unforgettable thing to see and when I hear the line I want you to panic because the the house is on fire I not, in, I not only remember Jacques Chirac saying that in 2002 and hearing that when I was 16 when I was in Germany, I also think of this very real experience I had of being at a house that was on fire and I panicked. And I'm not ashamed exactly of what I did, but I'm not proud because I made no difference. As much as I cared, as much as the, the blood literally of when the thing came off the fire hose, we couldn't secure it, so then it would flap around and hit our shins, bleeding shins, in the mud. These boys, I mean, it was so romantic, right? It's, the, it's like the mm. ultimate, we'd seem like such flippin' heroes. We did nothing. Mm. The good thing to do is find the right tool, is to find the experts. And I'll be excited about Greta Thunberg when she goes and finds an expert on nuclear fusion, on nuclear fission, on advanced reactor cores, on solar energy, whatever. There are people out there who have dedicated their lives, smarter people than you and I, to the problem of how to make energy in the most cost-effective way, in the most sustainable way. The fire putter-outers, when, you, there's a, when your house is on fire, you, you call the fire engine. You don't panic. And if the mm. fire engine can't come, you know, then maybe you run away. I don't no, know. Exactly. It's like, it's just there is no survival guide written on the planet that says panic when you're in a dangerous you situation. You need to be in a thoughtful space. Yeah. And you need experts. And on that sobering, wise, considered <laughs> note, unusual for us, 
at only 16 minutes over time. Yeah, no, this is a very long <laughs> episode, but it's been so long, guys, and we do miss, we do, I, I, I like doing this. I hope you like doing this. I, I do like doing this. It's been really long. Um, um, I would like to say that if you like the work that we are doing, uh, you can SMS your name to 32823, and one of our agents will call you back and sign you up as a friend of the IRR. SMSs cost one rand, and terms and conditions apply. Thank you very much for joining us on Two Crickets and a Thorn Tree. Grr, grr.